You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to The Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. We've got the... What did we say? The preacher who's a... Teacher of sanity. The preacher who's a teacher of sanity right there himself. It's Benjamin J. Solzer. Here I am. The man. He's just a man. No offense. He's a good man, but is he a myth? No. Mm, not, not really. really. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a minotaur or anything like that. <laughs> Some of his actions may be legendary. I don't know that he's a legend in and of himself. He's, nope. He's I just would a say man. not. Uh, you may well become a myth or a legend, but... You got to start somewhere. A legend, Master Way. <laughs> Can we agree that Batman Begins has some of the clunkiest dialogue in any mainstream oh. popular movie for adults ever? I would love to agree. But you know what? I think that that was right up some people's alley. People seem to have really resonated with some of that. Mm-hmm. Especially the scenes with Liam Neeson can bring that. Liam Neeson can do it. Life. He can do it. But anything that involves Rachel and batman talking or anything mm-hmm. like that or, yeah. or, the, or the gangsters are so like oh dear uh, like what is it that falcone he's got some real clunkers of uh, you always fear what you don't understand yeah yeah, yeah. i'm sure you've, you've thought deeply about this <laughs> haven't you <laughs> uh, yeah it's not so much that ducard or whatever his name is talks like that mm-hmm. he would talk like that but mm-hmm. it's that everybody has these little pearls of <laughs> like insp- inspirational you uh-huh. could like we could imagine all this stuff going on a calendar with somebody riding a bike up his up a mountain kind of yeah. wisdom no. anyway neither here nor there no speaking of great writing right right that's it me and ben are talking going to talk today about reading we just wanted to have a little conversation about reading and I'll, I'll tell you why, listener, because we both help lead a college group here at Church of the King, and we were having a discussion with the young people in this group, and I don't think any of them would mind us throwing them under the bus where their skulls will be crushed by uh-huh. the bus. Oh, well. But <laughs> uh, they, they, they were just not really readers, and it, me and Ben pondered, sadly, has the art and mm-hmm. love of reading left our culture or do we live in a post literate mm. culture? you know it's interesting i do the bookening podcast over uh, on this very podcast network and oftentimes there we'll be fighting battles against what we see as the excesses and the sins perhaps of the classical education movement and uh, some of these christians who are really hoity-toity about they're reading and, and really proud that they've read this or that, or that they know their Plato, or that they know their Homer, or mm-hmm. that they know their whatever. And so there, it can almost feel like we're not anti-reading. Obviously, the whole podcast is about books, mm-hmm. but it can kind of feel like we're like, hey, they're just books, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, they're not, they don't do magic. Yeah. But today... We're here to we talk about the magic of books. Talk about the magic of books, Ben. Do you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you consider books to be magical? Well, Nathan, they do transport you to other worlds and things. Books are uh, a way of focusing your attention on something that can teach you or engage your mind or pull you out of your comfort zone in certain ways, make you think thoughts you didn't think before, make you think more carefully. And they have a real value. Here's what a book does that I don't think any other media, any other type of art does quite the same way. 
it demands your full attention. And we'll talk about audiobooks, mm-hmm. but a book, if you if 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 you read a book, your choice is to either be paying complete attention mm-hmm. to that book and giving yourself to it. And it doesn't matter whether it's Jurassic Park or John Edwards. You have to give your whole brain and a good chunk of your heart to the book in order for it to even work. Right. In a way, you can be on your phone while you're watching a movie. You can be have your mind drift while you stand in front of a painting. You can, I could go on and on, sure. but a book demands your attention. Hmm. What's interesting about that, Nathan, is that even movies, which think about them only being in theaters, mm-hmm. back when they were even newer than they are now, they're still relatively new yeah. art form, as we pointed out before, but movie theaters actually are designed to engulf your attention, kind of swallow you up, like mm-hmm. give you give you a total experience of nothing but the image on the screen and the sound from the speakers. Right. With With the advent of... I mean, movies coming directly into streaming services at the same time as they go into theaters. How many times have we watched movies kind of like half watching them? Mm. They're just playing in the background. And everything is tending more that way, even with... I I remember being at the AT&T store buying my first iPhone many years ago now, whenever I bought my first iPhone. And the guy was like, oh, you don't have an iPhone? Wow, man, this is going to change the way that you watch movies. And what I, what I think he meant was, you're just never going to pay full attention to movies again because <laughs> you can be on your stupid phone. And he's not wrong. All you have to do is go to a theater with young people and you realize they do not allow it to engulf. It is, in fact, designed right. to engulf them, but they do not give the theatrical movie-going experience even the respect <laughs> of that anymore. They're right. on their phones or they're talking or they're... And it seems to me more and more... This is not a movie podcast, so you can listen to our movie podcast, Sanity at the Movies. I recommend it. But it seems to me more and more that movies are actually designed for people not to pay that much attention. We were just commenting on the fact that Marvel movies are all like, they're, they're like two and a half hours often. And I think it's actually kind of designed to be oftentimes a little bit formless and a little bit repetitive. And, huh. oh, here's another, we've gone 10 minutes. Here's another action scene that doesn't actually propel the plot. and here's some banter and oh here's the emotional part and it's just all more stuff which means you can check out you can canoodle with your girlfriend you can go to the bathroom you can be on your phone (laughs) and then you can perk up for whatever excites you about the movie i've often thought that this is that's how horror movies are actually designed to work especially the teeny market like the paranormal activities and Things like that. Like, there's nothing particularly exciting about them, but you can be in the theater and everybody can just be kind of talking and not even paying attention and having a grand old time hanging out. And then huh. bah, the the monster comes on huh. and everybody screams and throws their popcorn and then they go back to not paying it that much attention. Huh. Which was, once you have that theory, it actually makes sense of the popularity of certain things like paranormal activity that huh. are just so, such blank nothings as far as storytelling story, as far as story you know anything all that interesting on the screen huh anyway interesting as neither here there 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 i think the point we're making is that people resent and are not prepared or trained to give their full attention to to anything really do we train people to give their full attention at church i was just talking to a friend yesterday who went previously to a mega church and they would play all this awesome rock and music and the whole kind of high school crowd would get into it and they'd be 
moshing and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know if that's what you still call it, but they'd be really excited by it. And then the sermon would start, and they'd they'd literally all just be on their phones, not paying attention. The part that they were there for was was over, essentially. Yeah, wild, wild. At least I think growing up in a church culture where sermons were valued in some way Mm -hmm. taught you to pay attention to things that didn't entertain you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know if I hadn't had that to hold me back. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows how much less attention I would have paid to things in my life than I've already paid. I think I, I think we had two advantages. We had a respectful church culture that we both came from, respectful enough at least. Mm-hmm. And I think we both came from families that placed enough value on books that we both read them. Yep, you know, that's right. By hook or by crook, we ended up reading them. I would say I read a lot of fiction and science fiction and King Arthur mm-hmm. and, and fantasy and stuff like that. As much as I hate the cliche of a PBS special or even like Garfield or something, and they're like, come on, kids, let's go into the magical world of reading. And then they'll be like traveling on a, <laughs> on a book that's flying through the air, <laughs> taking them to an island with dragons and unicorns. It it can transport you to a different world. And then you have like the Chinese kid and he's like, I'm in China. <laughs> Everybody has their wow. stereotypical and the nerd kids like, I've got dread. You know, I grew up with reading propaganda and I kind of resent it. But it is true that there is something transportive about a great work of fiction that I don't think a movie is exactly the same. You can just get lost yeah. in a book. Yeah, you you can. And there is something... Analogous to a great work of nonfiction, a good work of nonfiction is like having a really long lecture frozen to the page. Mm-hmm. If someone's done a good job structuring their biography or, or like Calvin, his, his work of theology, what you get is a massive something mm-hmm. that you can't just get from one sermon or even from 10 sermons and that someone couldn't just sit down and give you mm-hmm. in speech. It's locked there. Everyone can refer to it. But these aren't things that you get even from uh, a good podcast. In the best cases, you just suddenly find yourself walking around in John Calvin's brain for a little bit, and it's, yeah. it is transportive, actually, even for a work of nonfiction. I've certainly had that. I know it's kind of the corny Christian thing, and it's something we've pushed against before in the bookening, but I've had that with C.S. Lewis, I think, with some of his mm-hmm. nonfiction works. What is it? The Abolition of Man is one that comes to mind that's just a perfectly written little 50-page essay and hmm. he just carries you through it all the way in a way that is in fact i hate to say it but magical and you learn a lot along the way so is there intrinsic nobility or intrinsic goodness to reading i don't know what you mean by intrinsic depends on what you're reading yeah me neither I, I, I mean what we're saying one thing we're saying is that reading helps you pay attention and be reading is a very intentional act it's more intentional Watching a movie can be a very intentional act. Listening to a podcast can be a very intentional act. And should Looking be. at paintings. Any number of things can be intentional acts, but I think what we're saying is that reading trains you. That reading kind of demands that you actually, <laughs> you, you have to pay attention and connect one sentence to another where you won't understand what you're reading. Right. And so if you can, if you can, if you can learn that lesson from reading, then reading has helped you in that way. Right. To do it's, other things. And it's demanding your imagination. Even a work of nonfiction is, if it's well-written, 
going to, well, either it's going to be describing something. It's like it's a New Yorker article or it's a biography or something. So you're still imagining stuff. Or if it's an essay, if it's about abstract conflict, abstract concepts and things like that, you, it's still, we, we actually do think in terms of images largely and metaphors are images. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about concepts and it's a sermon, but he's also saying his eyes on the sparrow and cut off your arm if it causes you to sin, pluck out your eye. Like it's actually just image, 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 image. And you have to think and enter into those images imaginatively. So it takes work. It takes it takes brain work and demands a level of intention mm-hmm. that unfortunately a lot of people just aren't prepared to give these days. What's what's the difference then between someone going and giving attention to their job, whatever that is, but then never giving that kind of intention, attention, intention to a book? What do they not have? Bit, well, f- not sure that this quite answers your question, but one thing that they don't have perhaps is just a vision for why it's worth doing that particular work. I mean, there's many men that know it's worth doing the work of providing for their family or doing their job mm-hmm. or yeah, cutting their grass on the weekend, but they do not understand what it means to have a well-cultivated mind and what it means to what it means even to relax in a well-made novel. Like they do, they do not have a vision for what can be morally edifying about that? What can be entertaining about that? Because it's just simply something that they, they didn't grow up with. I also think it does require, as we said before, complete and undivided attention. And that is hard for people. Even with a relatively complex thought-based job, you can still sort of often jobs are different, right? A computer programmer has to be pretty mm-hmm. focused on that screen. But many, many jobs even say editing a podcast like what I do or, or writing a sermon or something. Your, your mind can wander a little bit and your mind can play a little bit and you can, you can get up and walk around a little bit and it does not require long, necessarily long periods of hmm. extended <sighs> heavy thought. The way that I write, whether it's a script or a sermon or anything else, it, it's bursts of thought huh. and then sort of Let's circle, circle, circle. Oh, and we're diving and we're grabbing another thought, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Just got a vision of an eagle getting a fish. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, That is how the creative process feels to me sometimes. You're circling, you're thinking, your mind starts to wander. You say, no, mind, don't wander. With a book, you're kind of disciplined to just be there. And it's not that your mind can't wander when you read. I don't know how often I'm reading the Bible, especially, I'm sad to say, and Mm-hmm. I just find I'm planning my day or something like that. <laughs> and somehow my eyes are going over the words and they are entering some part of my brain, but not the part that they should be. Hmm. So I suppose it is easy. You, your mind still can wander even there, but it's, it does require a certain kind of, you have to plug into it. You have to jack into the book. Like you have to plug in if you're going to get anything out of it. It's if it's going to be worth your time at all. And that is something that people seem not very prone to do. I don't know. What do you think? Why, why, hmm. why don't people do that work? I do think that our technology does run away with us. We, talk, we did an episode on how to own an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Has that come out yet? Yeah. Okay. I just didn't listen to it. Mm. But I was in it. No, yeah. I didn't have to. Yeah, you listened to it at the time. That's right. Listen to myself talk. And I don't know. iPhones, social media, constant notifications and buzzing do control our 
brain and teach us how or how not to pay attention and what rhythms to use for it. So if your rhythm is like every five minutes I check my email or, or whenever there's a buzz on my hip or whatever, I look at my phone, then... There's a buzz on my hip. There's a buzz on my hip. Then in that case, your mind is being formed not to be able to pay attention for long stretches, not to be able to take in more complicated ideas or thoughts, whether that's about God's word mm-hmm. or from a sermon or, or any number of other things that you may be thinking about, relationships, family, <laughs> planning. It just affects all kinds of things. And it's good. To, it's, it just seems like that's, that's, that's a big reason that people don't read and they're not going to... I, I can easily go through my day not reading and not making time to read. Mm-hmm. Or not listening to anything at a at a long stretch, even, and then I don't know. You just get carried along by whatever, whatever buzzes. Mm-hmm. Well, and the funny thing was, of course, the people, the young people that we were talking to, all wonderful people, by the way, but a good example. They all, we said, well, do you read your Bible? And they said, of course, of course we read our. Well, of course we read our Bible. I mm-hmm. think somebody probably said that in the, that tone. Of course, I read my Bible. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Right, good. I'm glad. But also, there's a sense in which that's like saying, I never got out of bed, but of course I run a marathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never walk. <laughs> right. I, I, I never jump rope. I never <laughs> do stretches. But it's like, no, I don't think that there's any particular glorious magic, intrinsic glorious magic to the act of reading. But I do think it stretches your brain in a certain way. And we should all be reading something. And it does. Just the act of being able to absorb information from the page does help us in our ability to absorb information from the pages of Scripture. Like if you never read anything else for an extended period of time, but Scripture, I think Scripture will be more difficult for you. So if if nothing else, I would say, let's all read something. Yeah. So there's there's reading for more understanding and there's reading to be able to process... (laughs) other reading, mm-hmm. and there's just reading as a discipline that helps you f- focus generally. Yeah. I think a large part of the value that I see in reading is retention. If I watch a movie, I kind of sort of, it, it glides over the surface of my mind. If I listen to something, it glides over the surface of my mind, but maybe penetrates a little deeper. If I sit down and I am forced to be all-encompassed, to be absorbed by something, I'm still not going to remember it because my mind sucks and we live, in a, we live in a broken world. But there's a better chance. If I want to have mm-hmm. a concept stick, if I want to have a concept stick, I need to read five books about it because then the four things that I want to remember will, will mm-hmm. stick. Right. But I'd have to watch 50 or 100 movies about it for that same amount of stickiness to, to take place. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big advocate of pragmatism in these things i'm a big advocate of using audiobooks i couldn't get through life without audiobooks and podcasts and things like that for my learning i do not have a lot of time to give and i understand most of our listeners don't have a lot of time to just sit down and be absorbed in a book but i will say it's a trade-off and i mourn the fact that i don't have more time to just simply sit down with a book and I feel the burden of making sure that my brain stays well-trained enough to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. the bad news is the more my entire 
existence is taken up with answering the buzz on the buzz on my hip, listening to things and watching things, the less good I become at being able to sit down and give my full attention to a page. That's the bad news. The good news is my brain is seemingly malleable enough that it can change. That's right. If I, if I, the more pages I give it, even now, the easier those pages will become. My brain's not as malleable as it used to be. So I want to keep it trained to be able to absorb information mm-hmm. from a page. I remember a woman, a friend of my mom, was talking to my mom and saying, I used to be, I used to read these big, I think her degree was in biology or something. And she used to read big biology, works of biology. And she said, it's been 20 years since I read something like that. And I tried to go back to it. And I simply did not have the mental power to do it anymore. And that was a frightening thought. The fact, huh. the idea that you could, if you don't use it, you could lose it. Yeah. Like if you never read a work of theology, say, then when you try and go back to even something simpler, it's not going to come as easy to you if you've just been reading Twitter, Twitter for the last 10 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. It's a frightening thought. So I think it's worth even reading a page or two a day or making sure that you actually read your Bible out of a a book that's bound with leather and has pages as opposed to... Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I listen to my Bible all the time. And yeah. I think that listening to my Bible is way better than not doing anything <laughs> with my Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So there are trade-offs and there are real trade-offs and we should be pragmatic and realistic about the trade-offs but let's also realize what we're trading yeah let's remember we have a responsibility from god to cultivate our minds and be able to engage with the world around us reading is a way to do that Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of good things to read that can help you do that and that will that well reading twitter will not get you Mm -hmm. but sustained reading of something well (laughs) i guess there's a whole question of what you should read but Mm -hmm. Read things that challenge you and read things that aren't simple and that aren't the most recent, easiest versions of the difficult things, Mm -hmm. but that are actually some of the difficult things themselves. John Galvin is a good go-to example. Because there again, let's say you read the book that distills John Calvin for the modern person. You are going to read that book and you are going to retain a tiny portion of that book and that tiny portion is going to serve you as well as it serves you. You read John Calvin, you struggle through the difficulty of reading John Calvin, and then you retain that tiny portion. Uh, Which tiny portion is going to be better? Well, obviously the tiny portion that you managed to glean from struggling through John Calvin. Yep. So you, you make yourself do the work sometimes. Again, Big fan of pragmatism and these things. Big fan of finding shortcuts and ways to pack your brain and all that stuff. But but I do think let's not undervalue God. God blesses diligence. That's the way He made the world. If you have to work through something, the reward will generally be better. And so when you have to work through John Calvin instead of reading a pre-digested something that's working through John Calvin for you, you're probably going to get a little bit better of a reward. Sometimes. With certain things, you accept the small reward. Like, okay, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia page because that's all I need on this topic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's theology, maybe you want to do better than Wikipedia because you want a bigger reward in terms of your understanding and your ability to articulate your understanding and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. 
And yeah, we'll do some more episodes, I think. on We, we have on our list of episodes to do how to build a library so we can talk about what, what should be in your library. Oh, yeah. I, I think it is worth reading theology. I think theology is very intimidating for people, but it's actually, uh, uh, there is some theology that's very dense and very difficult. But John Calvin, for example, he was a man, a flesh and blood man, and he wrote like one, as did Martin Luther, as did a lot of the famous Mm -hmm. white dead guys that you can think of. They were actually trying to reach an audience. And so they were using metaphors and trying to make themselves clear you might have to work to, to bridge the century gap and to bridge the intelligence gap and all kinds of things. But their intention, by and large, was not to be as difficult as possible. It was actually to be <laughs> as clear as possible. Right. That's not true of uh, certain theologians I could name, but... John Owen. John Owen, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> John Calvin, Martin Luther, and Thomas Watson, three of my personal faves are all in the business of making themselves as clear as possible, actually. And so they'll use delightful little metaphors and sometimes tell tell stories and sometimes just yell at the reader or go off on how stupid the Pope is. Or (laughs) It's actually, if you approach it as if it's going to be a boring textbook, then I suppose that's what you'll get out of it. But if if you remove that frame, if you give yourself freedom to just read this person as this thing as if it's written by a human being, you'll find some pretty delightful human beings because Christians by and large are delightful human beings with colorful personalities and opinions and pet peeves. And you can begin to see and understand those things, even in somebody as big and dense and challenging and scary as a John Calvin. So theology is good. Our pastor back home always liked to say, read biographies so you can be inspired by them and see how men of old fought battles and maybe get their perspective on i'm very bad about that i don't read a lot of biographies i have to admit maybe i should read more biographies uh you definitely should yeah i've been meaning to talk to you about that ah yeah fine yeah i should too read great fiction you can listen to the booking podcast and hear all about that every week but jane austen will improve you morally and many authors will actually. Tolstoy mm-hmm. will give you a larger view of the world. A much larger True. a much larger view of the world than J.K. Rowling will. And you you can read Harry Potter too. But oh I don't know, Ben, you got any more thought this is just maybe our opening salvo on the subject. I think just a rambling we'll opening come, salvo. Yep, yep. Not a ramble in the Bronx like no, our it's not. great podcast over on Sanity at the Movies. That was a pretty different kind of ramble. No. Um No, just that Reading's good for you. It's good for you, and it's good to do things that force you to set aside the immediacy of the social media world and the iPhone world that uh, are threatening to swallow you up and let yourself be forced to pay attention to something difficult and interesting that will stretch and challenge you and give you more thoughts than you're going to get from, you know, your phone. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here's a final thought. Yeah. A final rambling thought on this whole subject. I do not appreciate the fact that, well, I have sympathy for it. I don't know how to say this exactly, but if you listen to the bookening, you will know I have a love-hate relationship with the conservative Christian tendency to romanticize reading. We've already mocked it a little bit on this podcast, but mm-hmm. or even with the pagan tendency to say, reading transports you to another world, we. Um, but then you have the Christian version, we are people of the word, and so that means we should be 
classical education people, which is fine. I don't really have a problem with classical education. What, what I do have a problem with is pride that attaches itself to, we don't watch TV, we read. <laughs> you know, <laughs> here's the thing about that. I think reading is good for all the reasons that we talked about and for many others. But it is, it is just a tool in the toolbox and you don't need to idolize. It's a work. It's a thing that we do. You should be cultivating your brain. So read. And, and to me, to a certain type of person, in order to be motivated to do that, they might need someone to tell you it's a wonderful, magical thing. But I don't tend to like to be told that things are wonderful and magical because then I try and do them and I find that they're difficult and require work. <laughs> and I feel like the person who told me it's wonderful and magical was lying. Uh-huh. So there is something wonderful and magical about reading. But also, it's just work. It's just work. Yeah. And so lower the bar a little bit. And I would say, I'm, I'm, I, my kid can't read yet, so I haven't had to cross this bridge. I, I think, I don't know, Nathan, I think when she turns nine in a couple of months, you really ought to talk to her about that. Yeah. And the other kid, my 19-year-old, the fact that she's just a feral child <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> yeah. That, I don't know. It just I, doesn't seem good. Yeah. It, I could have done a better job with those kids, but I refuse to read any books on parenting. Oh, All I wanted to do was watch movies about how to be a parent, and uh, my favorites were Luca and <laughs> <laughs> Cheaper by the Dozen, the Steve Martin. All right, <laughs> uh, part two specifically, and those taught you everything you needed to know. Well, I, I realized that I if I and what, Eraserhead, it's a, yeah, Eraserhead, great movie about <laughs> family. <laughs> oh man, well yeah, that's the other. Mistake that people make. Eraserhead made me think of punks who like to read Dostoevsky and Sartre and things like this. And don't become an arrogant chucklehead who who only reads like dark and Ayn Rand. And you don't want to be that kind of person either. You just let's just lower the bar. Realize it's a good thing. It's a thing we should do. It's got some really great, fun, awesome, cool, magical benefits to it. And as Christian, you know, I didn't want to, I don't want to mock this. I want to be careful. I, we are people of the word, actually, and Christ is the word, and there's a whole reality to that that's big, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, beyond the purview of this podcast. Yep. But it's true. So I suppose some elevating, some romanticizing even of words. Words, in my humble opinion, are, are, most inexhaustible source of magic, as the great <laughs> Albus Dumbledore, yes. another great theologian, told us. I forgot he said that. Um, yeah, he's right. He's right. But also, let's not be weirdos about it. Let's just, it's another thing. We should exercise. We should eat. We should. We should read. We should read. Yeah, come on. Lower, yep. lower the bar a little bit. Um, yeah. So it's like uh, what we like to say about the Victorians. They felt so bad and so ashamed of the way that they were putting children into factories and all this stuff that they had to turn all their children into tiny t- you know in their literature it was suddenly these angelic kind of tiny tim figures like we tend to romanticize the things that we feel really really crummy about and something that a lot of people feel crummy about is the intellectual slide of our nation and the intellectual slide of our church mm-hmm. and the ability to retain and information and the ability to read indeed and we should feel bad about those things, but let's not respond by being weirdos and romanticizing the glory. Anyway. It's just ordinary work. Yeah. That we ought to do. 
But that, that, that can be really fun and yeah. really transporting. And yep. Man, the times as a kid that I just really, I remember specific occasions. There was a book of, I don't know who it was. It wasn't like La Morte de Arthur. It was just somebody's compilation of King Arthur stories. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being so completely locked into the world of King Arthur for a couple of days there. And it was, it was magical. It was transportive. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. just like. I used to do that with Lord of the Rings. It's yeah. true. Yep. And it's, there's a reason people are nostalgic for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I could clear some the space in my schedule to just get lost in Camelot again. <laughs> but Lost in Camelot. Lost That's in Camelot. clearly the title of this. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, we're off to see Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> Using your time well. <laughs> Speaking of paying rapt attention to masterful uh, works of art. Oh, man. Ser- it's, I'm absolutely serious, folks. That's what we have to do for another uh, podcast. But <laughs> the irony just might kill us on the way to the theater. Believe me, we'd rather be reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay. This podcast, you can support it at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. I don't know, Ben. Until next time. Stay sane. Yeah, by reading. By reading.